Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now welcome to super movie brothers let's start the show it's so powerful you are why leave you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise? No. I thought not. It's not a story the Jedi would tell you. It's a Sith legend. The dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. Is it possible to learn this power? Not from a Jedi. My powers have doubled since the last time we met Count. Good. Twice the pride, double the four. With all due respect, Master, is he not the Chosen One? Is he not to destroy the Sith and bring balance to the Force? So the prophecy says. A prophecy that Miss Red could have been. Hello there. General Kenobi! <laughs> you are a bold one. <laughs> your host super movie brother dave i'm your host super movie brother jay first time in a long time me and jay are coming back to do a movie cocktail so we're going to take ourselves back to a different time it's 2005 and another star wars movie is on its way 
in and May. And not just that, the final of the prequels. Final of the prequels, man. It's 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 what we were all waiting for. And I the Anakin conclusion. And it's it's uh, I think it's an appropriate way to spend my May the fourth going back. And looking at how a different trilogy ended in Star Wars, as opposed to the trilogy that just ended this past December. So it's 2005. I'm completely excited. Even though I was not thrilled with the two movies that came before it, I'm still a Star Wars fan. I'm still in love with it. And I'm still looking forward to what we all know is inevitably happening. How does Anakin make the turn to the dark side and for the first time in this series i'm at the theater with not only my mother but my father my brother my sister-in-law her brother her parents <laughs> we went as like <laughs> this this big family and we went and we, we took up almost like yeah the complete center of a row and we all watched this movie together and I'm not going to lie. When I was first there in the theater and this movie starts off, not with, you know, not after the crawl and it comes down and it shows you the dark void of space and a ship kind of like coming into view as every other Star Wars movie had began. It starts with balls of fire and a massive fight over top of Coruscant. And I was like, holy shit, I'm in. I'm in. The only thing that drew me out and still does to this day, is the dialogue. <laughs> the dialogue kills me in this movie. Yeah. Do you think George just overall, yeah, do you think that George, like, over time felt the weight of his franchise the more and more years go by and wanting to perfect it, quote unquote, to where it, it, it just backfires essentially Certainly you know what the prequels were meant to be was very different to what they wound up being there was a point in time where after the phantom menace came out and and then again obviously with attack of the clones he had something that he had in mind and at some point and i'm not sure in which movie there was a complete shift and he was reacting to what fans wanted and it's very clear and evident by the lack of Jar Jar Binks in Attack of the Clones and even more so in this movie where he's basically regulated to a background character. What he wanted to bring to the screen and what ultimately came to the screen are probably two different things and it definitely has something to do with fan reaction. And I do think that maybe, I'm not saying what if he stuck to his original vision it would have been better, but the original cut of this movie was four hours long. There's a lot of stuff that was cut out, but some of the stuff that was left on the cutting room floor may have actually improved it, and we will get into that later on, Jay. But the only thing I want to know is your first time seeing it. You know, my first time seeing it was in the theater. I can't remember exactly who I went with. There's a good chance I might have gone with an old friend. There's a good chance I might have gone by myself. And... To be honest, I feel like it's kind of held up the same way it has all this time. It's it's an enjoyable watch. I like the story. I like, for the most part, a good chunk of the visuals, even though a lot of certain character moments weren't the best per se. But the no. But again, just like you said, the dialogue is just it's garbage. Atrocious. Garbage and Ugh. and of course like that that's been the way Star Wars was even from even from the beginning. And to me, it's the best of the the prequels. So so that's the thing that that, that I'm that, that I'm that I'm putting out there is because this one always had that in its corner, right? It could always say no matter what, 
Revenge of the Sith, for any pitfalls that you can find with it, it is the best of the prequels. And then Rogue One came out. And then I went, nope, that's that's the best Star Wars prequel. <laughs> Rogue One is the best well, Star Wars prequel. Well, I don't even know. I, 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 is that are we considering that a prequel? Hundred percent. Is that like a new thing now? We're doing that. Okay, it's not a new thing. Well, then obviously Rogue One is. Rogue One's the best. But I mean, prequel. at the time, <laughs> at the time, <laughs> at the time, for for a good twelve years, it was the best prequel Star Wars had, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's that's that, that that's not the best you could say about it. it. It does have a lot going for it, right? It it, it does have. You know, really good visual effects. The best visual effects in this trilogy, number one. Uh, they, ILM really perfect the visual effects for it. At times, it is a little over the top. And, and and looking back, being in 2020, looking back on it now, it's not so great. But at the time, it fucking killed it. It fucking slayed it with the visual effects. Mm. Um, and that's what really drew me in early on. But also, it, it does weave together a pretty interesting plot, especially if you're like me. And you've been big into Star Wars your whole life, and you've read a lot of the ancillary material, and you're picking up the little things that are getting put down. And for me, like I, I watched the movie, I read the novelization of it. Uh, novelization is, I gotta say, it enhances my viewing experience. But in years since, things like the Dark Plagueis novel and the Clone Wars uh, television series have all increased my enjoyment of it. I was actually pretty lukewarm on revenge of the sith when i first saw it i was like okay i mean obviously we knew how it was going to end and how we got there i wasn't completely satisfied with i felt that anakin got there too quickly i felt like that turn well, was sure i happened yeah. in a Go, 10 minute sequence that was like pff, right whatever right but then like when you watch things like the clone wars and you re- and then right after that dave that whole sequence after that i did not like no. either the way obi-wan handled it and delivered the news um and and to it, it's it, it was weird. It was just not good. But if it's because you feel like there's stuff missing, it's because the original cut was four hours long, <laughs> and there is a hundred percent. And this is what two twenty two twenty five maybe. About that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that and even that's guys long. remember at that time that was phenomenally long. Like there, movies, that's normal nowadays for big you know blockbusters. But back then, that was practically unheard of almost <laughs> you know that's like you know titanic was obviously the longest movie at the time i think for at least that big uh success but for something like a star wars movie and also i believe it was the first pg-13 movie as well um you know in the star wars universe it was yes sure sure and, and i think you know people were wanting more a little bit more fleshed out things even though the story as a whole was 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 good it's just it didn't flesh out the way you wanted you it to. You want the fall of Anakin to feel meaningful, right? You you want it to be something that the character couldn't help. And, and you wanted it to be... Because you wanted to like the character of Anakin as well. But in the end, sure. because of the stifled dialogue and the, and, and, and the way that they kind of truncated his, his fall in the end, kind of left you feeling a little bit hollow and you were just like, Okay, I got there. It was it you knew the ending and this movie wound up being a means to the end. And I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on it too much because this yeah, movie like, does have the, a saving but grace. But the seduction was great though, right? Like where the supreme chancellor is 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 just, you know, 
filling in uh, Anakin's ear holes with, you know, how to, you know, save family members and a Jedi cannot tap into that. Right. You know, it's got like little things like that. How he like slowly just is, you know, seducing him in a lot of ways. On Anakin's side of that, where Anakin hates the chancellor, right? Like he, he grows to hate him and that hate right. and resentment is carried through to through the rest of the movies, even though they don't show it until until Return of the Jedi. By by showing it here, we now understand that Anakin does harbor a resentment towards Palpatine for making him this monster. Well, sure. I mean, you know, he has a lot of emotion towards him for many different kind of reasons. And um, I think a lot of that is because he knows deep down within himself He's lord. He's been duped. to the dark side. He's been duped, and 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 that too, and that too. You know, it's 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 like any bad uh, bad good relationship, right? But let's <laughs> but let's be real here. The true saving grace of the movie comes at that last battle between Obi Wan and Anakin. That's the moment in the theater where I mm. was sitting back and oh and, yeah, you're getting yeah, and just kind of getting it. It's all coming, and you know, Obi Wan delivers this line to Yoda where he's like, "Send me after the Chancellor." If I go after Anakin, I won't be able to kill him. You know, I've raised him since he was a little boy. You know, like he, of course, he, yeah. You feel for for Obi Wan, and it all hinges on you, McGregor, who spent literally weeks leading up to this movie watching Alec Guinness in in different roles and watching A New Hope, specifically the the Obi Wan for scenes, line delivery, right? Yeah, so that he can deliver these lines in a way, and the costume department made sure that they made him look as close to possible as they possibly could to Alec Guinness. And and it really brought us to a place where we can understand Obi-Wan when we meet him in A New Hope. And Ewan McGregor did a fantastic job of bringing that. But also, when it comes down to that last fight, that last fight scene that we get between Anakin and Obi-Wan, the entire breakdown of our relation of their relationship and, and what we've come to expect, it's it is a really good battle between them, but the moment at you know towards the end of it when he tells them you know I have failed you you know and then he tells them like I was your brother you know you were meant to destroy you know you you were meant to destroy the Sith not join them bring balance to the Force not leave it in darkness and like I feel yeah. it in that moment and we've talked about this before on the show but like that's the moment like the the movie left me at a place where I was like oh. I was I was gut hurt like I, I had just been eviscerated because Ewan McGregor brought a truly beautiful performance to those final scenes that he was in, and we needed that. We we had to have and it, and it, it that you know those lines those those hit those really hit, and I think that's what kind of I don't want to say saved the movie, but it it kept it to a place where it needed to be. Um, to finish out that that particular it does. trilogy, it brings you back in on what winds up being kind of like a. I don't want to say it's overplotted because they cut out a lot of the plot, honestly, from that four hour cut. But um, it it brings you to a place of emotion where you've been pretty much emotionless watching it the whole time, other than maybe being a Star Wars fan and just enjoying seeing the Star Wars stuff being Star Wars. You know, <laughs> uh, but it does bring you. To, to a grounded emotional level towards the end um, of just these two two friends, brothers, and, and father and son, whatever relationship you know you, you want to take away from Anakin and Obi-Wan, it brings you back to this place. Of course, if it ended at that scene, it might have been great, but then, of course, we get, no! Yeah. 
and we'll get into some of the behind the scenes stuff later on. God, that was tough. But, yeah. but there is some there is some grown moments in this movie. There's moments that'll make you go, uh and the fact that 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 we used to hold it up and say this was the best of the prequels is because it had less grown moments than the two that came before it. <laughs> and that's that's what it is. But I still really enjoy the movie. Not only because it's Star Wars, but because like I am literally picking things up every time as I read different ancillary material to go along with it. So that's the type of Star Wars fan that I am. You know, reading the Darth Plagueis novel brings me new insight to Palpatine and his plan and 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 what he's doing to Anakin. You know, watching the Clone Wars is is kind of putting me in a place where I understand Anakin's character more. I've seen him flirt with the dark side several other times throughout that TV show that I kind of now am buying his fall to the dark side a little bit more. Uh, you know, uh Labyrinth of Evil touches the dark side there and and other things that have come out since then uh you know there's there's little things that give me insight into the mind of Darth Vader but none of that happened in this you know it didn't happen here but I'm bringing my experience from elsewhere to it and I can now apply it to this movie and therefore make it better and that's one of the few things that like the expanded universe of Star Wars can do for you is it can kind of patch some holes <laughs> every now and then. It could kind of it, it could kind of take oh, yeah. things and 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 spin it and put it in a in a light that you didn't think about going going into it before, or or shed a different perspective from a different side of that scene, and you go like, oh yeah, oh well, I mean now that completely makes sense when I think about it from a certain point of view. Yeah. No, that's a very good point. So, Jay, we made a cocktail for this movie uh, because, of course, this is a movie cocktail. Now, you and I have not gotten to do a movie cocktail in quite some time. I don't. I miss, I miss, it. I miss it too. I miss Mark. I miss Mark so fucking much. Uh, I, I asked him. I asked him to kind of come with me and be here for this. Um, unfortunately, you know his. And, and I do want to pay respect to to both Mark and his wife. Uh, Danielle is a doctor. She is one of those individuals who is on the front line of this crisis. And, uh, you know, I can't thank her enough for what she's doing for for her family, for yes, everybody else. You, so yep. uh, Mark was unable to be here um, for, for, for personal reasons and stuff like that. And I absolutely get it. Um, but. I would have loved to have him here so that we can do a proper movie cocktail. But as it comes, this is the movie cocktail that you're going to get. So uh, interesting fact before I before I list off the ingredients for this movie cocktail. Pennsylvania liquor stores are owned by the state of Pennsylvania. They are run by the state of Pennsylvania. So since everything in the state of Pennsylvania is closed, liquor stores are not open. Now, when I made the cocktail a few weeks ago... Liquor stores were not open. I could not get liquor unless I traveled over to Jersey, which I'll be honest with you. It's 100% laziness that I didn't go to Jersey because it's a five-minute drive <laughs> from where we are in PA. I know. I was going to say, I already, I've done that three times already. Right. <laughs> but our liquor stores are now open. Uh, you know, my, my sister Kim, my brother-in-law Sam, they work at the liquor stores. They are now doing a curbside pickup. So obviously the state, while remaining closed, still wants to get their revenue for all of us boozers. Slowly integrating. Yeah, right. yeah. Who, who, who need to get our booze. And there are a lot of us who need to get our booze, as I've yes. heard from them. And they've lost out on a lot of money if they just did that to begin with. Right. Now, of course- like I said, laziness, I didn't get out there to pick anything up. So this cocktail is 100% a quarantine cocktail. It is what was made with what I had in the cabinets at the time. 
I actually love doing this because it completely, it, it, it forces me to use what's at my disposal and get a little bit creative and look at things that I wouldn't normally use as a mixer or, or, or mix together some ingredients that I no- normally wouldn't put together before. So the first ingredient is two ounces of acai berry liquor. So this acai berry liqueur has been in my fridge since our last Friendsgiving which we didn't have friends. Uh, no, I remember. This right. is like o- over two years old, I think. <laughs> right. So we didn't have uh, a Friendsgiving this year because we went to Disney during Friendsgiving this year. So this is actually Friendsgiving last year. So it's a bottle of, of liqueur that's a year old, but it's two ounces of acai berry liqueur, one ounce of dark spice rum. I used Kraken. Four ounces of Buy Kula Watermelon. Uh, Buy Kula Watermelon. Uh, Buy is actually a uh, antioxidant drink that my wife drinks. Kula Watermelon is just the flavor of it, but that was in my fridge, and I was like, "All right, let's let's it's red, so let's let's give that a shot. Let's see how this works out." Half ounce of grenadine, two dashes of Angostura bitters, and two dashes or a quarter tablespoon of lime juice. Now, the lime juice is literally for your taste of rum. If you taste it and it's too rummy for you, mm. throw a little bit more lime juice in it. Um, I only did two dashes because I like the taste of Kraken rum. I like rum. I like a, I like a boozy drink. But if you're not a boozy drink person, throw a little bit more of that lime juice in. It will cut down on the rum. And what I am calling this right. is fall to the dark side. It's a Revenge of the Sith 15th anniversary cocktail. And uh, I obviously, unfortunately, Jay does not have these ingredients at his house. So he hasn't been able to try it out. But when he's able to get back to the studio, I will definitely make it for him. But what it winds up being is it's a pretty good, strong, rum-forward drink that has you know a tiny bit of lime juice that kind of balances out that rum, and it winds up being a pretty a pretty good marriage. And the amount of maraschino cherry juice not only does it redden it up a little bit, it also adds a layer of sweetness to it uh, while still having that very dark rum-forward flavor. And the watermelon is what you taste at the end. So it's it's pretty cool. You don't actually taste this mm. cool the watermelon until you finish your first sip, and then it's the watermelon that lingers on your tongue. I'm not going to lie. I'm excited to try this one day. It does have a mixture of things that I do like. So, you know, how it comes together, obviously that's to each their own, but I'm really looking forward, and I trust Dave's judgment, So I, I and, and we share our love for more on the boozier side my of cocktails. My wife and- enjoyed this drink, which, as I always say, she's my litmus test. She's the one who is not the uh-huh. average cocktail drinker. So if she liked it, I know that a majority of people will enjoy it as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that because... <laughs> You know, Lauren, right away, she knows yes or no. Um, it's it's yeah, something she that she like likes, so she doesn't. Straight up, right. she doesn't like it. So I will, along with this episode, be posting yeah. pictures of what the cocktail looks like, both under the lightsaber lighting that I took the pictures of and without it, so you can see its color. And I will also be posting the recipe for everybody to check out. But I am really proud of this one because it's it's one of those ones where it's like, I tried it this way once and I really enjoyed it. But I realized it was lacking something, so that's when I added in just two small dashes of lime juice, and it was just the right amount to balance it out. But I did recognize that like, you might want a little bit more lime juice with it if you're not a rum drinker. If you, if you don't love the rum, if you don't love rum forward. Well, 
not just that, Dave. Let's be honest. Like Kraken is is heavy. You know, it's it's by far the heaviest yeah, rum sure. there is. It's the hard, It's the heaviest rum they sell. I think. Well, no, it's not quite one fifty one. It's not a one fifty one rum, so it's not that bad. Well, it's a different style. Heavy of rum. spiced, it's a rum. dark, heavy. Yeah, like a syrupy type spiced rum. So it's not your normal average rum. It's not Captain Morgan. It's not your white rum. Um, it's it's not so. You gotta you gotta know that going into it, it's gonna yeah. have a little bit of a bite to it. So, uh, but the acai berry, the acai berry, whatever you want to call it, I used to have that 15 years ago when I bartended, and I remember making a, a, a martini. I can't remember for the life of me how I made it, but I remember it being so good. But the you know the liqueur was expensive. You know, it's it, I think there's only one. You had the bottle. It's the same bottle that I had 15 years ago. It's like the only bottle that they sell. There's two brands of this of it liqueur. That I was able to find. Right. Not yeah. Many. There's no. not many. There's not many. But if you deliver it in the right kind of cocktail, it can slay. I mean, it can really do some numbers and and make a great cocktail. So I'm excited that you're able to finally use it and and, and find and piece together a great cocktail. That's exciting. I'm I'm maybe I should start thinking about trying to. Uh, incorporate that a little bit more i'm thinking yeah. maybe that I mean, a little bit I, of tequila i think that would be great i'm on a bit i've been on a tequila binge lately so i would like to see like a little bit of um um yeah i'm excited i'm excited man to get back into it hopefully in a yeah, couple yeah that's that's the months. thing so like <laughs> I don't, who knows when this is going to start happening but you know, um well we know what side of lauren's on the fence i, I might never <laughs> see my face at the vizini household ever not again during I, don't time. I, I mean this uh, is like <laughs> not, not during yeah. that but for short, like, um, th- this is just like, it's one of those things where like, I, I miss it a lot. I-, I, it's one of the things that we do on the show that like, I truly and honestly, it- I think it's the one time we truly get to be creative on our own show because so much of, of super movie bros is talking about the creation yeah. of other people. Yeah. We, we watch, we enjoy a lot of times in our own personal creative interpretation exactly. of exactly. creativity because in I, our work. I, I hesitate sure. to say that we are that, that we do anything professional on the show, number one. But number two, like we are not I, I, I don't ever use the word critic because critics get paid for what they do. We just offer our opinions on things. And ultimately, like when we do what are you watching, we try to just discuss like what we've been watching, like like what we're enjoying or or maybe yeah, loosely, like right. how you would describe it to a friend. Right. But that correctly. but that yeah. That is not creative. It's just us shooting the shit, but like doing these cocktails right. and tailoring them and theming them in a way that goes towards a that goes towards a movie and an overall vision for like the way we want this to represent this thing is the one thing that we get to do creative on this show. And I miss doing it. I really do. I know. Me too. I, I'm I'm right there with you, buddy. I mean, it's. It's 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 one of those funny things because you and I both have experienced this an an endless amount of times and you know the the creativity just comes down yeah. to the very end. It's like you're bi- you're like you're coming down to the last minute, you're crunching down on some homework, you got to get it in at the deadline and boom, all of a sudden everything comes together and it's a great cocktail at the very last minute. For two guys like me and you, there's very few things we're good at. <laughs> But it turns true, out true. through through this through this uh, th- through this up th- through this uh, podcast and through our trial and error, it turns out we're both pretty good at putting together a decent drink. <laughs> and it's the one thing that like me and you can point to and we can be like, 
we're pretty darn yeah we're pretty good darn good at that we have a we have a pretty good idea of things and and chemistry um i and i'll be honest i think you're 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 definitely edging me out uh your your creativity with some stuff has really shocked me i mean there's been some cocktails where i'm like wow holy shit and uh, especially this season this past season i know we're on a little bit of hiatus but you were slaying i mean there was a couple of cocktails i thought i mean the, the one in particular i can't remember off the top of my head but it was it was my favorite cocktail of Fer- all time ferris bueller's day off cocktail where i it was impressive where i burnt the spices and i burnt the uh orange peel to put in the drink yeah i think it it, it it the marriage of everything was like nothing I've ever experienced before. I mean, it, it, it and and th- the fact that it worked <laughs> is even more well, shocking. Thank you, buddy. You've you, tru- know? you truly you truly touched me just now. Well, it's <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, 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 it's little stuff like that. Like it's just exciting because you know there's not many times where you have. And I've had these experiences before in, in different kind of bars and such where you go, you know, and you have a cocktail and it's like, holy shit, this is changing my life. And you just want to drink them all night long, but they're like $14 each. <laughs> exactly. So it's kind of nice where you're able to like create it in your own house and it's a lot more inexpensive, but, and it's a lot more fun that you are the one that created it because it's our original cocktails, at least to us, you know, we do our research beforehand. We definitely do not try to uh, steal anybody's no recipes. No, that's you one know, of the things I'm very proud of is we, we take these and we do them a hundred percent from the ground up. Um, we kind of yeah. start from a place now, I, I've been accused, and I know we're we're going on, and we're kind of fil- well. Sometimes we're filleting ourselves a little matter. bit too much, but um, sure. we we have been accused in the past of from some people like, well, this is exactly this type of drink, just with this instead of this, and it's like, well, if that's the case, that's purely happenstance because there are dozens of different things can be inspired by right. things. Obviously, there's only so many ingredients out exactly. there in the world. First of all, exactly, you know, you can't make and also a shitty drink. certain liquors only certain go things well, go together, go well with certain flavors. So of course, you do those flavors, but you do them in your own way, and that's that's what we always try to do, and that's exactly what I tried to do here. With this one. So, I mean, me and Jay will be bringing more movie cocktails into the future. It's just, it's tough right now because we can't be together. And part of our creative process for these cocktails is bouncing the ideas off each other and mixing them together and just doing things together. Here, try this. What do you think of this? Ah, I think it might need a little bit more of that. You're right. Maybe it does. You know, a lot of that is an in-person process that we do together, uh, even with Mark. So uh, not being together has certainly hampered that. But, you know, when all this is over, we still have two episodes left in season two to to complete we have swords and sandals to get past which we already put our nominations up for and then we got one other episode after that which is the season finale of of movie cocktail and then we're going to move on to season three which is going to be a completely different format so we'll get into that at at a later date and time i don't want to get into it too much now because it's who knows how far off it is but me and jay are working on some stuff working on some plans to to bring movie cocktails to you in in a different way and we might be repeating some cocktails in this format and we might be maybe changing some recipes too because i've looked at some of our cocktails in season one i'm not stoked with them right like i made one of them recently Mm -hmm. and i was like "Eh, it's not that good specifically the very first cocktail we made jurassic park i was like it tastes great 
but it looks like shit. <laughs> like it does not look like a cocktail. Like if someone right. ordered in a bar and I handed it to them, I went, there you go. And they'd be like, cool. Did you spit in this? I'd be like, no, it's just the best I could do. <laughs> so, so, uh, we'll be doing that stuff in the future, but Jay, uh, we got to stay on track here. Timekeeper, timekeeper. <laughs> uh, we have a little bit of behind the scenes stuff and just the, uh, you know, overall, uh, points about Revenge of the Sith that we want to get into. So let's head over. Let's get into that. The time has come. Execute Order 66. Yes, my lord. What's going on here? There's been a rebellion, sir. Don't worry, the situation is under control. I'm sorry, sir. It's time for you to leave. And so it is. All right, man. Interesting development history for Revenge of the Sith. You know, again, we talked about a little bit about how uh, there's clearly like an idea that George Lucas is kind of on the ropes with this one, right? Um, he knew where it had to end. He just had to get us there. And his original script was massive. Like we're we're talking over four hours long. And they filmed that. Right. They filmed that. The original rescue scene of the Chancellor was over an hour long. There was an hour long segment of the film. And that was just the first act. And it was an over an hour long. And then there was a ton of other stuff that that, that wound up getting cut out. Qui-Gon Jinn was supposed to return. Uh, Liam Neeson did record some voiceover audio. And he was supposed to do voiceover with Frank Oz, who is the voice of Yoda and Grover on Sesame Street. And he was supposed to be tell, t- basically teaching him and telling him about living on through the force. It wound up getting cut. It wound up not getting used. There was also supposed to be a scene where the remainder of the Senate who wasn't, you know, all down with the empire to kind of form the rebellion that wound up getting cut. The lightsaber duel was supposed to be twice as long. There was a moment where Anakin loses his lightsaber and has to go to hand in hand combat while Obi-Wan actually has both the lightsabers and he's taking on Anakin with two lightsabers while Anakin has none, which is why we get that scene in the boardroom where Anakin just pretty much jumps on Obi-Wan and starts choking him without a lightsaber in his hand because that's actually leftover footage from when uh, there was supposed to be this longer fight that went on. Uh, there's a ton of stuff that was left on the cutting room floor. and That's what I want to see. Yeah, right. Not, not all of it was would have been in service of a greater movie. You know, where's it, the DVD features of that? Like, there you know, are some, there on. are some, some of this stuff does exist, but a lot of it went into the novelization. Number one, because the novelization was working off of the original script that was written by George Lucas. That was super long. Uh, the video game has a lot of these scenes in it, but also, um, a lot of the other material like books and stuff like that and has and in part some of it in the clone wars right now because in the clone wars ahsoka tano is liberating mandalore from the clutches of darth maul while order 66 is going on so it's really interesting over on the clone wars right now again i will be doing a a review of that when it's all done and ends this monday may the 4th so the following week i will have a review of that coming but you know there is there's a lot of stuff one of the one of my favorite things that was left on the cutting room floor was originally instead of anakin seeing obi-wan coming down the plank of the ship and calling padme a liar and then choking her and throwing her to the side padme was actually supposed to have a dagger hidden up her arm 
And she was actually going to try and kill Anakin. And when she tried, Anakin catches her hand, chokes her, and that's what causes that series of events, which I think, A, adds to the characterization of Padme yeah, as being a stronger you know, female heroine and also adds to Anakin's turn on her and adding more of a it reason for him to sense. choke her. It makes exactly. more sense. Yeah. But it wound up getting cut. There's a ton of that stuff that's on the cutting room floor, including uh, a scene with Mon Mothma, who appears in Return of the Jedi, where her and and Bail Organa and Padme Amidala, they are sowing the seeds of the rebellion. And that wound up getting cut. You can see that in the deleted scenes, I believe on the DVD version, and then on the Blu-ray release as well. But... The, the woman who played Mon Mothma in that scene that wound up ultimately being cut from the final film, she also reprises her role as Mon Mothma in Rogue One. It's the same woman. Interesting. So it is, a lot of this stuff still is canon, even though it wasn't in the movie. It still is considered canon because it bled through into so many other places. Um, and, and that's, and, and when I said like there's stuff that like when I watch this, I get a deeper understanding of it, having that ancillary material knowledge, that's, that's where it's coming from. There is a lot of stuff out there that enhances the viewing of this. That doesn't mean that I would raise this movie's score in any way. If I were to give it a score, it doesn't mean that it makes this a better movie. It means that it gives it a better viewing experience overall. I got you. No, I got you. And I and I agree with that. I mean, the, you know, this look, this movie has its its pros and cons all over the place from start to finish, um, sprinkled throughout. Now, it had a great story structure. It had a great conclusion of a lot of things. Now, within that, there is always some flaws. Right. So right. it's just you know, like like any movie, I guess. But it was troublesome. <laughs> For sure, especially but for there, this but, kind of lever, level of, of 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 franchise, there were strokes of brilliance in in its creation. Of right? course, like yeah, and like, especially like, at this time too. Right. So, so first things first, uh, ILM had developed a, a new type of technology that that, that they called pre visualization. They, they came up with new pre visualization techniques uh, to kind of lay out a scene where they basically moved their 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 actors around as. As kind of like action figures or cutouts along a a basically pre-rendered background that they kind of made. So they were doing the visual effects before they were actually figuring out what the scene would look like. And Steven Spielberg was actually going to be new to this technology, but ILM was going to be working with him on World of Worlds, which was coming out later on in the same year. So that's 15 years old as well. So we can all feel older knowing that Revenge of the Sith and War of the Worlds was 15 years ago. So because he was going to be utilizing this kind of like new visual uh, pre-visualization techniques from ILM, he kind of asked his good buddy, George Lucas, like, you know, I kind of want a little bit of training. I want a little background on this. George Lucas, who was doing so many roles while making these films, he was both the writer, the director, the executive producer, and the main financier for it. Because Lucasfilm, you know, it was distributed by Fox, but it was funded by George Lucas himself. So it was 100% a Lucasfilm production. He decided to bring Steven Spielberg in and 
told him like, you map out these scenes, map out these scenes for me in pre-visualization. You'll understand the technology, you'll save me time, and you'll bring basically the direction of Steven Spielberg to these scenes. What he wound up blocking out the most so he basically did all the pre-production for these scenes was the lightsaber duel between Anakin and Obi-Wan. That was pretty much the visualization of Steven Spielberg, but still shot by George Lucas. But the the mapping out of how those scenes would go and how everything would be cut together and flow together, that was Steven Spielberg. So there's kind of like a little bit of like a ghost directing here. Kind of like how Frank Miller kind of like uh, <laughs> assisted directed in Sin City uh, alongside Robert Rodriguez. Kind of like in that same type of vein. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also along with that fight, because me and Jay have talked about it is the best part of the movie is that fight scene and the whole speech uh, by Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan at the end. Uh, those two actors, Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor, they trained for two months doing that lightsaber duel two months day in day That's out a long right. time right they did fitness and fencing training and choreographing of the scene so what wound up happening was in previous films uh in the phantom menace and attack of the clones the lightsaber duels were artificially sped up by speeding up the frame rate and stuff like that and speeding up the the actor's movements so a lot of what you see in a phantom menace is actually sped up they were not actually moving that fast and same thing with attack of the clones when they fight count dooku but because Ewan McGregor and and Hayden Christensen trained for two months. Everything you see in this film, that entire end fight scene is 100% choreographed to be that way. Their timing is absolutely perfect and it's flawless. I absolutely, this is one of my favorite lightsaber duels in the entire, you know, Skywalker saga, pretty much. I absolutely but, love the fight scene here. But at the same time, some people think that it's like a little too perfect. <laughs> and it's a, it's just looks a little bit too choreographed, a little too slick. It doesn't look like there's an emotional um, sloppiness to it all because that's the reality of fights. But See, again, I this think is Star is. Wars. So when I guess, Anakin, you know, it depends. When Anakin jumps on Obi-Wan and just literally starts choking him with his bare hand, I was like... I, I get it. Like that that feels that feels dirty, that feels gritty, that feels a little bit real, you know. Okay. I understand there's not like a tussle, there's not like, you know, it, it is a more elegant I, form and, and, of and fighting. And perhaps just that's exactly what you just said before. Maybe it's because it's it, it it's actually shot and and executed effectively enough where they matched up to the quote unquote speed of the originals and such where the originals had that kind of quirky off the cuff raw feeling to it that had to be sped up just to keep up with the kind of cadence that George Lucas wanted the saber fights to be, but the fight sequences weren't as polished as this. So it had a different kind of feeling to the viewer. So when you saw Anakin uh, fight Obi-Wan and they perfected it <laughs> in today's kind of you know technology and the choreography. It it was almost like too perfect, where it people just didn't really know how to digest it all. So you can be Dave's camp where you think it's the best thing ever, or you know some people think it just looks a little too perfect. Um, I enjoyed it. I had fun with it, but there are some parts of it that I did not like because um, I do agree I that there is that there there is a polish to it that does make it feel a little bit disingenuous. 
I will say that, but this is also the Jedi at the height of their power, and also the height of their arrogance. If you really want to get actually, into actually, and that's a that's a good that's a good argument. You're right. So You're right. so I, I I do like that polish, but one of the things I, I was discussing with Lauren, and this is something that like I always picked up on from my very first viewing of this movie, is there's a moment that Yoda looks at Obi Wan. Uh, and it's that moment after they they take back the Jedi Temple, they 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 fix the uh, you know they fix the signal that's going out the Jedi to tell them to return to the temple so that you know Anakin's five hundred first Legion can just can can kill every Jedi and it returns to the temple. They fix that that broadcast and Obi Wan watches the security footage and he's appalled to see Anakin and lazily fighting some Jedi if you watch that that little hologram of Anakin fighting it is just the laziest choreography ever oh but, it is um, and possibly it, on purpose but uh, possibly on purpose maybe, maybe he's so good that he has to stoop to their level and that's what sure. it comes down to but you know Obi-Wan tells him like don't make me go after Anakin I can't do it I can't do this and Yoda tells him that like you know Anakin Skywalker's dead like that's what he tells him the, like the boy you used to know is gone he's been replaced by but by this twisted version of evil that is Darth Vader. And I thought about that moment at that time that I watched the first time. And I was like, well, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty ballsy of you to say Yoda, considering that he does fulfill the prophecy, a prophecy misread maybe that Mace Windu says, and he does turn back to the good side and he does bring balance back to the back, back to the force by the time we get to return of the Jedi. And then later on, Obi-Wan is talking to Anakin and Anakin says, if you're not with me, you're against me. And he says, only a Sith deals in absolutes. And I wanted to go, well, wait a minute, Obi-Wan. Let's rewind it. Because didn't Yoda just say that Anakin's dead and only Darth Vader exists now? Isn't that an absolute? True. True. So True. how delusioned are the Jedi about their own power? If he's stating that Anakin's gone, gone forever, you can't save him, Obi-Wan. The only thing you could do is kill him and end this now. And then Obi-Wan then repeats to only a Sith deals in absolutes. I'm sorry. Yoda just made an absolute statement. He left no opening for you. He told you you had to kill him. So how disillusioned and how arrogant are the Jedi just to begin with for the fact that the Sith Emperor was under their nose the entire time and they didn't know it. All they knew, if you watch the Clone Wars, is that a member of the Senate or at least someone close to the Chancellor was feeding information to the separatists and was probably involved with the Sith. That's all they knew. Even though the dark side does cloud the light, the Jedi were so arrogant way back in, in the Phantom Menace where they didn't even believe Qui-Gon Jinn that he had fought a disciple of the dark side on Tatooine. Ah, the Sith haven't been seen for 200 years. There's no one left of their kind. Like that's the arrogance of the Jedi, and that's what brings them their downfall. So every time I watch this movie, that's what I watch. I watch the Jedi failing over and over again. Yoda fails. Obi Wan succeeds, but doesn't kill him, so he he technically fails. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Mace Windu fails, and even in that moment, Mace Windu has the Emperor, at least in his mind, dead to rights and can arrest him and charge him for his crimes. He goes to kill him instead. He he basically goes against the Jedi order and, and the Jedi decree and plans to kill Emperor Palpatine because he's too powerful to be kept alive. And that's the ultimate moment that makes Anakin believe that the Jedi are disillusioned, which 
if you watch the Clone Wars, goes into what Ahsoka thinks because she was accused of a murder that she didn't commit by the Jedi who are clouded by the dark side and they believe that she committed a murder and she ultimately leaves the Jedi Order because the Jedi are disillusioned. And of course they're disillusioned. They're, they're monks, pretty much, who are keepers of the peace, who are playing general in a war. How can you call yourself a keeper of the peace but also be the general of an army. I it's mean, nuts. It's, it, it is There nuts. is a level beyond what you see on the screen if you really take a step back and think about it. And I think that's what Revenge of the Sith does so well that the rest of the movies didn't do. The rest of the two in this trilogy didn't do. You're getting heavy, buddy. You're getting heavy. I mean, I mean, you're, this is, this is <laughs> you're getting into deep Star Wars lore where the territory where like I can't really offer much more detail <laughs> but it's still <laughs> then, but it's still then, but it's still all there in the movie right like i'm not bringing yeah. stuff in oh, from, oh, no, from, from no, outside, right. except for my clone no, wars right. comment but i'm bringing sure. in stuff that's in the movie like this is how the jedi are portrayed so sure the sure. fuck <laughs> you know what i mean like is anakin wrong for I, for feeling the jedi are disillusioned and turning against them because the as far as he's concerned the jedi have lost their way and there's no way that they are going to trust him after he put a baby in in padme and let's, see, let's be I don't real have here. painfully hard uh opinions on all those rules between you know the jedi and the dark side and this and that obviously they're you're supposed to Right, but um, we get into a religious question at this point where right. uh, when is dogma, when is, it, it, you know, your belief in something mean that you have to follow a certain set of rules? Because mm. that becomes a dangerous prospect at that point. I mean, that is so many wars have been fought in, on our planet because people believed in one thing and felt that you had to follow a certain set of rules to believe this thing and that you would die for it. And Anakin is looking at that and just saying, this is this is kind of ridiculous. But he's also still following those rules. So when he sees someone like Mace Windu, one of the ultimate masters on the Jedi Council, about to break those rules, where he's like, well, then what, what the fuck am I following? Why did I bring this guy to you? This guy could have helped me save my wife. And now you're telling me he doesn't deserve to live, even though he's practically defenseless from both of our standpoints right now and you're still going to kill him that's not the general mm -hmm. way mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no i understand that and i think i think it's i don't know it's a mixture of they think it's the best of mankind because they know the future <laughs> is that possible like they just can see and foresee the future of what's going to happen so they think this is what's best their clarity into the future has been clouded by the dark side. They can no longer see that. And even then, there have been Jedi in the past who have brought to them prophecies and things that they've saw, and they've balked at it and ignored it. Because sometimes a, a vision can be misread. So it truly is, you know, the arrogancy of the Jedi. That's a made-up word. Who was made up? And the fact that the Jedi believe that they've gotten to this to this point, to this height of society, and it goes back to what Palpatine tells Anakin in that opera house. All men who gain power fear to lose it. The Jedi have their backs against the ropes, and as much as they might say it, I believe that they do fear to lose their power over mm. over the galaxy and over the Republic. And that's that goes into the reason why they entered into the war to begin with, a war that they begrudgingly entered into. They didn't want to become generals, but they did because if they didn't, what would be their role in this society at that point? Mm. That's a good point. Yeah, it's it's 
there is crazy deep levels to this movie, but you have to watch it like so many times and extrapolate on it so many times to like really get into like the lore of of what is going on. Like, what does it mean to be a Jedi? And and does what does it mean to be a Jedi during Revenge of the Sith time? The same thing as what it means for Luke Skywalker to be a Jedi, or is it the same thing that it meant for someone that that is going to be in the upcoming? Um, high republic that that disney's working on in their publications like being a jedi means different things depending on the period that you exist in and when we get into the 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 next movies when we get into obi-wan and yoda as they're training luke everything they say is kind of a lie to him they lie to him Mm. almost they do yeah you're right i know because they worry about the consequences of telling him the truth when in reality it was Luke who had the best idea of all. He's the one that didn't deal in an absolute. He did not believe that Vader had fully fallen to the dark side despite the fact that Obi-Wan and Yoda had both written him off and they were the ones dealing in absolutes. So it's uh there's there's some deep stuff to unpack here and and when I watch it, I I I watch it for these things and I kind of get into these Star Wars philosophical questions <laughs> that come up <laughs> and I do that and and it, it enhances my enjoyment of it well it adds to a, a whole di- different dynamic of of the world you know that's the great thing like you'd like to have especially when you're world building like this and this kind of franchise you need to have a set of rules you need to have some kind of sense of what's right and what's wrong what's this what's that um it adds drama. But this it adds movie characters. exists in that gray area of what's right and wrong mm-hmm. are are not as clearly defined. Whereas I feel like the original trilogy, you know, uh, A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, right and wrong is pretty clearly defined there. And in the earlier parts of this trilogy, right and wrong is pretty clearly defined. But in this movie, much like in Rogue One, there's kind of like a moral gray area. That, that, that is going on. And Anakin is walking a tightrope in this moral gray area, and he ultimately falls to the dark side because of him being basically pulled apart by these two ideologies that he's being that he's being given. And I gotta say this, Anakin could have saved Padme, but clearly the Star Wars universe is very pro-life. Because you're a Jedi, you could have just reached inside that belly and just snapped two fetus necks. I've been done with it. Tell me you don't want him to get an A word. Yes, I do, and I won't say it for a little baby ears over there, but it rhymes with shmushmortion. Yeah, <laughs> I guess you're right. Pat, I Pat guess you're saved. Right. No babies are being born because I just performed a Jedi abortion. Mm. God damn. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't need Palpatine. You didn't need Yoda. You, not, you needed neither of them. You just could have, <laughs> and it all would have been over. <laughs> but that's hindsight. Oh uh, boy, but I, you know, overall though, I think this was one of those. It took the franchise into a more brighter light for going forward. So when Force Awakens came back, I think it took it to a darker place where fit more of the sensibilities of us at the time. And, okay, fair enough. You know, I think it speaks in 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 a, in a more in a way because it is more moral morally ambiguous than. The original trilogy is and i'm not saying it's better for that obviously the original trilogy all three of those movies are still better than most of anything else star wars has done better than just about all of it pretty much but i do feel like george lucas 
did his best to tell a complicated story for a more adult audience than he did you know, prior for better or worse, you know, he still, he still tried to bring a more adult story to the table here. And I think me being at the age of, I want to say 20 or 20, I think when this came out, 19 or 20, I was appreciative of that at the very least. But I'm happy that George is done. <laughs> Don't you think? Don't you, are, are you happy that George Lucas is pretty much not you after know, cut ties? I mean, not after the way the rise of uh, Skywalker still, ended. Even still? Uh, dude, I don't know. I'm I'm still burned by that, dude. Because people are burned by George Lucas. Jar Jar is a key to all this. I'll I take think, Revenge I of the think, Sith over see, that I, over I, Rise I, of Skywalker I, I, any I day. I just I blame Kathleen Kennedy. That's who I blame. I think she is the single-handed person to blame for this because she didn't have a through-line uh, picture for the trilogy. Well, you got Feige now. I mean, and 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 that's what Star Wars. We is. needed a Foggy, uh, a Foggy. I mean, Fe- Foggy should have been. I don't think we needed a Foggy. We needed Kathleen we needed Kennedy, Kathleen Kennedy to, to emulate be, that. to act like a. Ex- well, exactly. Right. Thank you. Or but someone, maybe right. if it's not Kathleen Kennedy, someone to say. I honestly think we needed one director for all three movies. I think is what it comes down to. I think. We I hundred needed- exactly. I don't know if that's JJ. Exactly Abrams. what I wanted, and I, I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't hate JJ doing it. I just feel like it. Just there would be nothing terribly exciting about it. I think it would be a great, solid, good movie at the worst. I'd be surprised if there was a great movie. But I think he is the classic, fallen into a uh, B minus to A minus type grade director. I think yeah. that is his limitations. Oh, yeah. 100%. And that's not a bad limitations, but I think that's his limitations. Right. I don't think he can do any worse or any better than a B minus or an A minus. I, I, I agree. Wow. I just thought about that right now, but I do believe that. But I, but <laughs> I in think the end, he's that I, kind of guy I right will, now. I will take a Revenge of the Sith over. I would prefer a Ryan uh, Johnson trilogy than a, a, a JJ one, to be honest. For sure. For sure. Especially but in this day and age. In the end, I'll take a Revenge of the Sith over the Rise of Skywalker any day. I'm sorry. That's just that's just sitting where I am. That's where I stand. I I I still have not come to terms with the way the Rise of Skywalker ended. Like I said, ancillary material has enhanced my viewing experience of the Revenge of the Sith. So maybe ancillary material will enhance my viewing of the Rise of Skywalker. But so far, everything sure. that Disney has added to the Rise of Skywalker hasn't done much to improve my opinion on it. And uh, the the longer I go on it, the more soured I get on it. And I, I know I might be one of those hurt fanboys uh, just spouting into the void, just like a lot of other people are. But it's it's just my opinion. I'm not forcing anybody else to say they didn't like it. I'm not forcing anyone else to say they did like it. I'm just saying, like, it, this is what it is. It, this is where I'm at. I feel like there's more to unpack in Revenge of the Sith than there is in The Rise of Skywalker. Um and, and and that's coming from 15 years of experience watching Revenge of the Sith over my six months of being able to view The Rise of Skywalker. So opinions right. and times change. Certainly my opinion has improved on Revenge of the Sith as time has gone on. And it may do the same for The Rise of Skywalker. I may one day be doing a movie cocktail for that and, and singing its praises as well. So... Um, I mean, I, I think that's it. I think I think that's what we got. I it's it's a lot while not saying I'm sorry. It 
I said a lot of words while, by, while not saying a whole lot at all is what I feel like in the end because you either like it or you don't. You're a Star Wars fan or you're not. And I'm not saying that if you don't like it, you're not a Star Wars fan. There's just different layers to this to this animal to unpack. And uh, it's a, not an easy road to walk down and explain yourself on <laughs> when you come across true, others true. who have. Mm-hmm. So, But that's going to do it for our movie cocktail uh, this time around. I'm happy to be doing a movie cocktail. I really do want to get back into doing them. I do have another one coming up later on in May. I will be joining the Epic Film Guys for their live stream for The Cure. And I will be doing a Judge Dread movie cocktail that some of you guys over on our Patreon may have already received, but we uh, I'm going to be doing it again for the live stream for The Cure. So make sure that you join Nick Haskins and Justin Escovez of the Epic Film Guys and myself as we come together on Thursday, May 14th and at 9 p.m. and we talk about Judge Dread. Dread 3D and just the character of Judge Dread in general awesome. while do a while doing a movie cocktail. I also joined them uh, right after that again for a name that song in 8-bit that I'll be doing with both of them as well. So you can join me over there for that. I can't plug that enough because it's something that Epic Film Guys does every year. I enjoy joining them. I have a lot of fun doing it, but it is for a great cause, live stream for the cure. All all the money that they take in from that goes towards uh, the cancer research fund. So every help them meet their goal. Join me. Join them. Watch as much as of the live stream as you can, and donate what you can. I understand it's a tough time right now, and cancer is not on the forefront of our mind, but. Long after coronavirus is gone, cancer will remain, and it they are going to need your money, your support to continue cancer research and uh, you know bring us to a place where we don't have to deal with the death of loved ones from such a truly awful fate as that. Uh, Jay, where can everybody else find you on social media if they want to reach out to you? Well, Facebook, you can reach me as Super Movie Bros Podcast, Instagram, Super Movie Bros, and Twitter, J underscore SMB. Of course. And then you can reach out to me on Twitter at SuperMoviePod if you would like to discuss anything. And then also, uh, if you're enjoying the show, we really do ask that you leave us a review on the podcast listening app of choice uh, because it is what helps us get seen. It is what helps us grow. We did get another review this week that I would like to to share with everybody. So this is not a five-star review. Uh, This one came in a few weeks ago, and it's from... It's still a four-star review. (laughs) It comes from Courtmeister, who left us a four-star review, and he said, Overall, I like this podcast, but it sometimes gets taxing because Dave interrupts Jay all the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite annoying and a little bit rude. Also, I like the Indie Corner. Keep it up. Which is funny that they like Indie Corner, but say that I interrupt you all the time because Indie Corner is literally... A, a segment that was designed so that you could talk about the thing Just you like ramble. 
Right. Well, I can make fun of it and I can interrupt you anytime I want because that's the point of that segment. But um, my interruptions of Jay are not always because I want to interrupt Jay. I am a loud, vivacious person. I do jump in a lot. And and that's in normal life and regular conversation. It's a it's a problem I have. I do have diarrhea of the mouth. Um, I apologize for that. It's who I've been my entire life. Um, and I I apologize that you find it annoying, but it's not probably going to change on the show because most of the time when I jump in, it's because I am also timekeeper on the show. So this episode, well, Jay didn't have a whole lot to say about Star Wars. I have a fuck ton to say about sure. Star Wars. And I appreciate you defending my honor. Um, and honestly, 90% of the time, it doesn't bother me. And I understand right. it. It's part of our dynamic anyway of the show. Uh, but I appreciate the review. And um, I hope you're still enjoying the show. And, um, you know, it's 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 pretty much going to stay the same the way it is. <laughs> We're not going to change it. Um, this is the way we talk and the way we interact in the show. And, and pretty much in, in real life as well <laughs> for sure but also like when, when what goes to this is i actually read this review and i did like take it to heart a little bit and i was like all right well let let jay finish his thought the problem is sometimes jay doesn't finish his thought <laughs> sometimes it you know going. you know but you know why it's because i'm waiting for you I know. I, i'm so ingrained we've been doing this for so long yeah <laughs> where i, think- I the, the whole beat of our show and our our speaking pattern is almost probably like if we stop the show like our our relationship we have to go back to therapy or something like i know right we're our relationship is all like quacked out because of the show where it's so much fleshed out with the the ratatat uh um musicality of how we talk on on air as soon as we hit record it's like a switch you know we turn it on boom I, I know the, his cadence, you know, is my cadence, and I just expect uh, him to pick up when I'm slacking or whatever. It's a back and forth thing, and that's a chemistry that, you know, only other podcasters that do it for so long can understand. Because, you know, you know, I do. I'm not the most effective speaker. I don't. I don't have the same kind of uh, personality or energy that Dave has. So, you know, we pick up on each other's slacks from time to time here and there, and it's just sure. it's just the way it goes. I mean, I'm I'm certainly not complaining. It helps the show. It helps uh, helps me and. Um, you know, there's so many factors to that. You know, it's not, you know, there's nothing personal to it. <laughs> no. And, but I do think you're right. I think like, um, what's, what's crazy is we started the show because we, we enjoyed having conversations with each other. And now because of the show, um, and, and, and I'm not saying this in like a negative way, but I have taken up so much of a leadership role on the show that the leadership role has bled into our personal relationship and it's tough unless me and Jay have hung out for a couple hours for me to drop that like I'm in control of this conversation way. Uh, so the only way court courtmeister may really understand me and Jay's dynamic and the way we work on the show is to come to like one of our bonfires. <laughs> <laughs> or like we just hang out and shoot the shit for a long time and realize that like uh this is just the way it works but like over, over time and a couple of drinks and stuff like that we we still are friends and stuff like that but there is a dynamic that comes with the show where i i, I kind of am the person running the show it wasn't always that way but due to technical limitations and personal limitations and stuff like that i'm the one that 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 does m- the majority of the content 
for the show where we come up with what we're going to talk about. Um, yeah. Jay certainly adds his 20% in and stuff like that. And <laughs> Jay has fantastic ideas that a lot of times come into the show, uh, like doing a lot of these anniversaries that we've been doing during this quarantine. That's Jay. Jay's the one that said, like, we don't always have to talk about what's new because there's not a lot of new out there. So a lot of these anniversaries, especially High Fidelity, that's Jay. Like, mm. that's Jay's input on the show. So, like, he does have his input. But I'm the one who is the one who sees the recording time. I'm the one that's trying to shorten it up. And uh, I don't love to hear myself talk. It's not a thing that 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 I do. Neither if, do I. If yeah. you listen, it, it, like, if you uh, have you listened back to some episodes, I hate editing these episodes i despise my own voice i despise the things i say and i always second guess myself so um it's just mostly comes down to i'm trying to steer the show in a direction that we need it to go to to get it wrapped up and i'm getting long-winded now so we're going to wrap it up that's going to do it for super movie brothers this week i want to thank every single one of you for listening to us uh of course if you're enjoying the show, like we said, leave us a five-star review, just like Courtmeister did, uh, and or a four-star review. We'll take those, too. Uh, any review that you leave will get read on the show. You can follow Jay on the Instagram. He already gave it. You can follow him on the Facebook. He already gave it. You can follow me on Twitter. I already gave it. And then, of course, if you're really, really enjoying the show, you can check us out on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Bros podcast there you can get all the additional content that we put up for just one dollar a month and of course me and jay are going to be talking about what we've been up to during this rona crisis and we're going to find out what dating life is like for jay in the rona virus mm-hmm. on our next patreon episode so make sure you head over there and you check that out i want to thank everybody for listening have a great one cheers cheers <laughs> Bow, bow, bow.